Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. we got a great show lined up for you today. Pretty exciting episode as it was recorded out of the circus house. You probably don't know what I'm talking about now, but you will once we dive into this episode. But before we dive into that, I want to take a moment and remind you all, go ahead and look at whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. Click that subscribe button. It really helps us out, and it'll make sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. The last thing we want to do before we get this episode rolling is take a moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. And if you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city, please reach out to me at mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. And one last thing before we get this episode rolling, conquerors, we want to hear from you. There will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode. And if you guys could fill that out for us, we'd really appreciate it. All right, conquerors, let's get the show on the road. drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Uh, today on the show... We got Wes Wolf, and uh, Wes is the president and CEO of Wolf Insurance Group right here in Columbus. Uh, before becoming president and CEO, Wolf worked for his father, who owned Wolf Insurance before him. And uh, recently, Wolf also made local news by buying one of Columbus' oldest homes, a mansion, which we are uh, sitting in here in Victorian Village, that was built by the Sells Brothers, who owned, a, owned one of the largest circuses in the United States back in the 1800s, late 1800s. So, welcome. Thank you. Columbus Thank you. Place. So Appreciate let's talk, it. to kick it off since we're already on the topic of the home, yeah. a little bit about the process of you finding this and how you ended up in it and end up renovating it and fixing it all up. I mean, it's beautiful in here. Yeah. Um, it is a gorgeous house and the historic nature of it. I mean, most people familiar with Columbus being that it's on Goodale Park and Victorian Village are familiar with the location or the name of the circus house. So as far as purchasing the house, I wasn't um, really looking to obviously just go buy the circus house because you know I already knew what it was. I was familiar with the history, being that I'm from Columbus, but it, I kind of just fell in fell into it, if that's possible, with a house of this magnitude from a kind of a luck situation with my house in German Village and doing really well um, after a, the house and garden tour of summer of sixteen. 
and ended up doubling my money, was sitting on some money, had looked around and randomly saw um, online posting for the circuit, sell, said sell circus house for sale, walked in the door and then I was in contract the next day. That's awesome. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that house of garden first. You said you doubled your money on that. Was that similar for the houses in your area? Is it just like the area of Columbus is picking up that much in market value? Or? So that's German Village, also another really cool historic um, village, you know, tied right off of downtown. Um, the homes there have historically done extremely well with holding and retaining value. And just as the market and interest rates have been low, you know, it's done well. I mean, to do what I lucked into is not common, probably in 10 months to double your money with, without intention. I didn't go into that thinking, Hey, let's flip it. I loved it. Loved the village, loved the people there and just had an offer. And with my attitude, with everything, with business, my personal life, where I live is what can I do to leave an impact on the people, the community. And I was just really just trying to help and get involved in German Village and somebody nominated me to be on the home and garden tour. I had no idea how that, what that process was and was just help, helping out because somebody else had canceled. Usually, you know, it's like they're contacting you a year before. I did it three months before. Just I gotta to start help. getting nominated for some more stuff. <laughs> right. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, so that, it was kind of just really, I mean, just one of those things. And then not too far, or not too, uh, yeah, far from today, you had Arnold hosted over here for a party. So Arnold, um, I have been on the board for After School All-Stars, which is a nonprofit that Arnold started nationally to help, help kids um, up until about eighth grade that don't really have anything to do after three o'clock. So the, the core focus of the program is from three to six p.m. and getting kids that you know their kids might their parents might be at work they don't have a ride home we prepare um, four days a week home or you know fresh hot meals that are brought into the schools and it's kind of an eclectic group or I would say circuit almost of arts music fitness all you know and it just enables the kids to to build social uh, relationships and do learn about just different things. Yeah, we're talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah. So, Arnold. Yeah. Sorry, I got <laughs> sidetracked. So with that, being involved locally, every year they host um, an event here, which is the fundraiser for the Columbus schools in the program. And the event logistically is limited where it could be um, situated because Arnold, the weekend he's here, is very busy. <laughs> And it has to be within a mile of the convention center. So we were in a board meeting and I was like, oh, I'm buying the circus house. He loves um, animals. So the event he has, he has at his house every year, he has live elephants tied to his front mm -hmm. gate. And when they sent it to him, he loved the idea of being, being able to have it in a private residence because it allows him to be a little bit more relaxed, mm -hmm. you know, when you're not walking into a venue of PR and media type stuff like he and he seemed I've met him numerous times and he was amazing so, yeah I've heard none of the good things about yeah myself. yeah, yeah no, I agree um, what I was interested in was how did you get involved with um, the the children's group so you mentioned you're on the board what what brought you to be a part of that board so I would say um, before that um, I was on I've been involved with big brothers big sisters another kid type Mm -hmm. um, program here in Columbus and I've been doing that for the last 10 years I've been on the board for uh, committee chair for their after or bull for kids sake which is their largest fundraiser in the state of Ohio every year and done, I've done a lot of other programs kind of similar to the after-school all-stars but I went through their school mentorship program last year so I you know anyway but I've always had stuff Ironically, pull, I don't have my own kids, but pulling me back to help kids, whether it's through mentorship or just with these different organizations and through a friend connected me to the after-school program. So maybe from there, let's kick it back, yeah. give our listeners a little bit of background on who West Wolf is all yeah. the way up until your process of, you know, being underneath your dad in the insurance company yeah. and maybe a little bit about your childhood and just a general idea on who you are. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm from Columbus, Ohio, a suburb um, in Columbus, Gahanna. Lived, lived there my whole life. Um, my grandparents were even from there. Um, both sides of my family, my moms and dads, were Lutheran pastors. Um, even at the local Lutheran church in Gahanna, Peace Lutheran. So like both sides of my family were pastors there. So, you know, my history in Columbus goes back pretty far. I mean, my grandfather worked downtown here at the Jeffrey, um, the Jeffrey Mining business, which is, you know, kind of behind an Italian village is being developed now. The Jeffrey Mansion, not to get into all these subjects, was also built <laughs> by Frank Packard, who designed this home. So it was one of, there's like 10 of the, these prominent homes. But, so my mom was, uh, being back to what I'm from, whatever, from Gehanna, my mom was a school teacher for 35 years. Um, my, you know, my dad was insurance, um, self-made. He had paid both his way and my mom's way through college, you know, coming from Christian-based pastor, pastoral families. They didn't have a lot, so grew up playing sports. Always, you know, was since I was probably five or six. Um, my father played two sports in college: played basketball and baseball at Capital. My mom went to Capital, so I played three sports in high school. I played basketball, baseball, and golf at Gahanna, and then in college just played basketball. So, have a younger brother, younger sister. They both played college sports. So it's kind of, you know, that and insurance, it's not really exciting, but that's that's what I got. Hey, it's done well. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a good work out. <laughs> so the idea that I'm kind of interested in, and I don't know how much you could talk about it depending on how old you were, but your dad creating the insurance company and being self-made, did you know a little bit about like kind of what that process was like for him and how that came about? Interesting, interestingly enough or not, no. I mean, his idea which I mean it's interesting when you talk to other entrepreneurs or anyone that owns their own business you know if anybody in their family really kind of helped them pave that path and my father kind of always had the belief that I don't want to push you to what I do so when he came home from work he didn't really talk about it I mean I knew he was in insurance I knew to me it seemed cool like you get a dress up and wear suits at the time <laughs> and you know just so I was caught up into that, but we, I never knew much about the business. Um, so when did your interest really start? When did you start learning about it? Not until after college. So my first year after college, I moved to Cincinnati and worked for, so we're, we're an independent insurance agent. So a lot of the, you know, companies sometimes that are insurance agencies are captive, meaning they can only sell that product. So one unique thing about what we do at Wolf Insurance is that we are an independent so we represent over a hundred companies and are really advocating for our clients working on their behalf to whether it's negotiate a claim, get the best rate we can, um, you know, really guide them through any step of the process. Insurance isn't the sexiest subject. Mm -hmm. So it's knowing that they really have a trusted advisor there to answer, to be there if they need it. And it doesn't have to be this necessary evil. Right. So talk a little bit about it. So what would be advantageous about somebody going to an insurance group that doesn't represent, you know, hundred have the ability to represent hundred different products? Like if they go to you guys, it sounds like they could bid and get the lowest price every time. Yeah. And I mean, insurance, like a lot of professional services, a lot of times are very relationship based. So it's not that there's anything bad about that. I just think that there's a lot more value that we bring to the table with the multiple markets. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and you know, ultimately owning our business, if we see your rates going up with one company, we have the ability to move them somewhere else. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you know when you when you're more of a middleman that if you're an agent tied to a company or someone who's locked into a single company, um, they you know there's probably a little bit of a question of hey, is this person working for me or for the company? Exactly, doing? especially in a claim. You know, mm -hmm. you kind of wonder where the loyalty is. Right. And that's what we really try to establish. So, you know, even with some of the companies we represent, I mean, like Cincinnati, for example, we've represented them since 1961. So it's personal relationships. I mean, I, you know, there's a sense of knowing the people there and mm -hmm. saying, hey, if we need something done, we need to, you know, we can get more than calling a 1-800 number 
not being able to put a, there's something to me to be able to put, put a face and a name with something. They know who I am. You know, we have that established rapport. So maybe, and to go in a little bit more depth on this topic, mm -hmm. I mean, we're getting sidetracked, but I think it's good. I almost like a 10,000 foot overview of what the industry is shaped like and how you guys are kind of structured. Because I'm kind of naive to the whole insurance yeah. segment myself. So I'm and I would say you're not alone. I mean, a lot of times people just know it's something they have to have. And that's it. The last five or six years, I mean, the, the only thing people think about with insurance is the Affordable Care Act, or also known as Obamacare, which is health insurance. And we really don't do much of it anymore just because it's really like we talk about specializing in certain things when we were talking about your previous guest Tyler we like to stick to what we're really good at which is property and casualty business home auto life and I think when you start branching off trying to do things you're not as specialized in we're not you know we're doing a disservice to our clients because there's other people that do that and we like to just focus what we're best on. We're a boutique brokerage. But the way the insurance model works as a whole is, I mean, just because you can see it looking out my window, the Nationwide Building, who's a huge mm -hmm. you know, Fortune 100 company, their distribution channel is through direct or captive agents. So a Nationwide agent, up until now, typically could only sell that product. So ironically enough, recently they've changed. Since I met with you guys the first time, I just got an appointment, so now I can sell nationwide products because a lot of my Columbus-based customers, I like to sell local products. Mm -hmm. And knowing that something is branded, you know, identifiable with Columbus, Ohio, to me that holds a lot of, there's a lot of staying power with that. Um, other companies like Grange, Motorist, their only distribution channel is through independent agents. Others, say Liberty Mutual or some of those other companies, there is no independent agent channel, so they feel like they don't really need the relationship piece. So talk a little bit more depth about what exactly a product is to you guys. What, sorry, what was that? Like an example of what a product would be for you guys. So if it's for, say it's a business, we would do, depending on whatever that business is, we're, we're kind of an all, forms generalist i like to say so if it's a construction company look it could be their building their liability their vehicles their equipment schedules their if it's out of state their workers comp um for a personal could be their home insurance their auto jewelry art um you know personal umbrella boats motorcycles rvs i mean anything so each one yeah. of those different segments yeah. is a different, a product. different type okay. of coverage. Correct. Okay, that so, makes sense. I got an interesting question. So yeah. what's the strangest thing you've ever had to insure? So for example, I had a friend who worked in insurance for a while and uh, they got a request to insure a floating hot dog stand, a floating Coney Island hot dog stand. That's pretty good. And it was like a restaurant that floats. And he, so what he did was he looked at like insurance rates for restaurants and houseboats and then kind of just, yeah. That's, Put them together and said, "Yeah, sure, we can offer you this." And so, what I want to know that, if there's anything that's like really strange. I have some very good strange things. <laughs> First, I'm not not to say names, obviously confidential right. information. I insure a Tyrannosaurus Rex femur bone, um, <laughs> a couple other bones related to dinosaurs. Not really sure what they are, but one of my insurance companies that I represent is very specialized in unique coverages. So that's always at the top of a list. Um, some other odd. Um, things that came from the plant or you know like a meteor shower like a, it was a meteor shower yeah and I mean I don't even know what you do with it and I didn't believe it it was in a garage so I had to go this insurance guy's like uh, what do we do with this so you just had a bunch of meteors she they got it from somewhere in Arizona had it shipped here <laughs> it's called having too much money yeah um, I think you know you've made it when you have yeah. an asteroid and a T-Rex right. yeah. bone. Yeah. And it was the same person. Oh, man. So, that yeah, that was a good one. Jeez but um, I'm also locally now insuring the hopper cart, which is mm -hmm. last year they passed a law where now golf carts can go on roads if they're licensed for use. So it's a golf cart. But the caveat is that it's Uber-like in that, you know, it's livery. So when you go to that channel... 
most a lot of insurance companies won't do that do that because it's for hire so you know you get into all these insurance things of who's liable and then it's electric so i thought i had one quote ready to go with a certain company and then i was reading through the exclusions and they excluded electric vehicles we got it done but it so that's very expensive coverage even for one vehicle it's almost more than what the vehicle's worth because of the liability possibilities mm-hmm. Wow, that's awesome. Those, those are some pretty cool uh, pretty yeah. cool items there. So we kind of went on a tangent. You were going to speak a little bit about <laughs> oh, when yeah, you first sorry. got interested into insurance, and so, then you said something about Cincinnati, so, and yeah. then popped back. Sorry. Um, so I worked for Cincinnati insurance companies for a year and got some, because I wanted to understand both sides of it. As you had asked, what you know, what's insurance look like you know, from the, a big picture? So we represent that company that I worked for. So I was behind the scenes with them so it kind of just piqued my interest I was never really like let me go sell insurance as a career Mm -hmm. but I think like I had told both of you when I started working came back for after a year started working for my dad you know building my own business selling going through doing my own cold calling and at one point it kind of just clicked that yeah I was so passionate about people and relationships and all the opportunities that I had within my business. For example, there's so, you could be just out of college and say you, as an independent agent, say you're passionate about fitness. You could go, I'm licensed in 46 states, you could go write every single fitness studio insurance all over the country and only focus on that as a niche product. So even selling insurance, you have the ability to work with something you're really passionate about the the industry the people mm-hmm. have those relationships and you be tied to it yet be independently um you know financially doing well based off another tie to that so it's kind of there's so much opportunity in this industry especially being independent because it's really unlimited yeah, it's a really interesting concept. So you can really find a way to find something that you like to be affiliated with and that drives you, but operate your own business inside of this kind of conglomerate yeah. safety net. Is that kind of how that works? Yeah, exactly. And I think when when that really started to click for me was you know really piecing together. Okay, to me, it's about people. I like helping people. Really having personal relationships where they know I care about them, truly, well beyond just an insurance premium or claim. And knowing, you know, establishing that trust and loyalty mm-hmm. and that enables me to sell value and value in who I am tied to my product. But instead of just specializing in one industry, I specialize in people. I'm relationship building as a profession. And that, when I'm doing that as my profession, whatever my product is, people are going to buy well, yeah, and then, I mean, what's the easiest rule of thumb in anything for selling is, you know, you build a relationship with someone and, and the selling just comes with it. You know, you usually sell yourself before you sell any products. So exactly. It, that's pretty nice. Yeah. But what I'm interested in is approach better in the insurance industry to go towards the people or the businesses and then win the people underneath the businesses. I mean, you could hear probably a million different scenarios and analytical reasons why I have chosen for myself to focus on people. I mean, we're 70% commercial insurance, but I truly focus on people and I don't really discriminate on, I'm only going to do this size of account or this type of income for home and auto. I just go out and meet good people. And that tends to, you know, yield good results when I'm really doing things that I know are in the best interest of the people. And you never know what kind of referral you might get from that person. I could be going after a home and auto and he might say, oh, by the way, my friend's calling you that has a 300 employee business doing 50 million a year. Mm-hmm. So it, that's what's really great. Things always seem to pay it forward. And when you do good things, helping people, it always comes full circle. Definitely. I, you know, I think that's a really good perspective. You know, a lot of people that I've found that are successful always talk about you know, how one one relationship they made that, you know, they went out of their way to talk to someone in a bar or they went out of their way to sit down with someone at lunch and that person connected them with just a whole world of possibilities and opportunities. And I think people really, um, you know, miss out on that when you 
when you don't take a chance just to go talk to somebody. But you know what's interesting is the genuinity behind it. When you meet somebody and you're in it for just a relationship or you're in it because you know that there's something deeper, there might be something down the road. Mm-hmm. And humans notice that whether it's subconsciously or consciously. Oh, totally. And I think, you know, for me now that I've done, I've been in insurance for 19 years and being on, I've been on every side mm-hmm. of that spectrum where first starting when I was 22, you know, to making $20,000 a year and only having a phone book really never being handed anything from my father where I was that hungry like let me sell you this let me sell you this I learned why that didn't work (laughs) so now you know there's so much value behind myself and what I sell because of the experiences I've had that have brought me (laughs) to understand you know relationship first not because I read it because I've been through it and there's something to say about that too I think people feel that in me and I'm not just out pushing a product I'm saying let's get let's just get to know each other and see where it takes us. So let's talk about that process a little bit more. Starting in when you were young, and then what the process was like of you growing up through the company until eventually when you bought out your dad and took it over. Yeah. So like I said, I mean, when I was younger, I was just happy to have a job and have something to do and be a part of something. Um, was selling solely selling. Um, probably five or six years ago, I was getting more into management kind of had gravitated up towards just operational manager. And then in 2014, made a decision with my dad to buy the business from him, which I had to fully buy, which, you know, sometimes people just assume that being a legacy or that I just walked into it mm-hmm. and it didn't work like that. But I mean, I'm glad that I, it didn't because, you know, even the people that work for me now, you know, I'm working just as hard as they are. Mm-hmm. And, but that process, you know, the evolution of starting and whether it even working before the insurance company first, every piece of the puzzle, I've been a part of it almost. So there's a lot to be said about, you know, getting to the point of taking the risk entrepreneurial to actually buy it. I could have kept going on that same path to the point where I was making pretty good money but realizing for me that wasn't fulfilling for me it was being able to change the course of that of my company and to do something truly meaningful and impactful i had to do it my way and that to get my vision out nothing against my dad he was at a different point in his career and didn't really see things or have the necessity to want to make a change like i do and i had to have control mm-hmm. so you know it all has just kind of naturally progressed it wasn't forced. Right. Yeah, there's something, you know, that you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and it's exhilarating about knowing that it's yours and it's your identity that you're representing and the culture that you're building. And, yeah. You know, so, but what I'm interested in is what <clears throat> took you over the edge to buying the company as opposed to did anybody else in the company ever make that opportunity or pledge that to your dad and, and say, hey, I want to buy it from you and he turned them down or was it just that you were the first one? I think I was kind of, I mean, I was the first one probably because it was an assumption of other employees Mm -hmm. and they were okay with what their roles were. And for me, it wasn't something that my dad was or wasn't really ready for, but when he understood where I was at, it happened. And I think that turning point was for me, you know, as an entrepreneur thinking about any startup, this is, where I think it's really relevant regardless of the industry because it's the risk and it's you know taking a creative thought or process and whatever it might be. I mean, there's a lot of dreamers. There's a lot of people that have amazing, brilliant ideas, but to become a doer and actually take hold of that and own it, you know, it's a, it's a step. And whether it's going to the bank or putting it on paper, you know, strategically coming out with it, for me, it was embracing my fear of all of the unknown and I was familiar in a certain role as many of us are and when I was able to kind of harness in the fear and embrace the unknown whatever it was going to be and just let my passion override it that's that's when it happened definitely so from there uh, I want to go to a little bit of what your day-to-day looks like today so um, you going to work what's what's a typical day look like for you when you step into the office I would say that, I mean, 
the great thing about owning your business is you never know. I mean, I might I might have a plan written out, and so there could be an employee issue, and the day changes. There could be an IT issue, and I have to be involved. So there really isn't a normal day. Every day is different, which I love, and it's always about people, whether it's employees, clients, anything. We're all, I'm always dealing with people, which is that's the blessing in what I do. I mean, some of the technical things might not be good, but you know, my days normally start pretty early. Probably I'm usually at work by seven, um, and they usually go till eight or nine at night just because of networking. And so my business is more of a lifestyle for me because I don't ever really have a switch off. It's everything I do is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And being that I don't have my own personal family, I, if I've always been that way, that everything I do is an opportunity to get to know somebody, meet somebody new, do something with an existing relationship. So I'm, I don't know that I ever really have an off switch. Does it even so, feel like work to you in the most time there? Is it just kind of living and, and bonuses you get a paycheck for it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I would say that yeah, it's not really work. I mean, some things are more stressful now that, you know, I'm taking care of employees that, you know, I have things that I have to pay for and there's a lot more responsibility, but it's what I'm passionate about and I don't ever see it as work or eight to five. I mean, it's, it's my, it is a lifestyle. So let's talk a little bit about, we jumped ahead a little bit, but the process after you completed the acquisition of the company, um, what did it look like in terms of employee turnover and creating a new culture and getting people to buy in? So I would say to anyone, they usually never work out the way you intend. I mean, I think you've probably heard that a lot with people you talk to and as much as you plan, there's going to be unknowns. So for me, I knew that I, we were in Gahanna. We had been in Gahanna since 1996. What I wanted to do to the culture of my, starting with my agency or brokerage, was to make it more of a tech type atmosphere. Like I always think of Apple, just whether it's from their crisp logo or the energy when you walk into an Apple store, that vibe is what I wanted to have people feel if possible in insurance and I knew I wanted to be downtown so when I was moving the business down here in 15 I was the youngest person at 37 or 38 out of 12 now I'm one of the oldest and I have six people under the age of 30 that never would have happened if I was still in the suburbs so for me I wanted to be you know close to Columbus State I'm close to Ohio State. I have CCAD right around the corner, um, and I love it. I mean, it's attract. I'm in the best place to attract young talent mm -hmm. in Columbus. And did you guys build out a special office space, or did you just find something that really fit you well and you jumped in? So we, because of the timing, we fit into a friend's historical building on East Broad Street, which is across from the old Hugh White Honda, 630 East Broad. Um, so it has been a temporary means. It's a really well redone building as you can see i'm t tied to i love historical stuff and it's worked out well i'm actually now looking at relocating um at the end of this year or a little bit before down either in this area or italian village i'm looking at a few to kind of complete that ultimate um, culture atmosphere so my staff has the ability to whether it's walk to lunch walk to the short north walk to the park um you know so it isn't just this sterile environment all the time mm -hmm. yeah what's interesting is the day job that mike and i work for we're actually moving to grand yard here soon and we mentioned that last time we yeah. talked and what's really intriguing to me is i always thought like I'm, I'm really not much of a person who gets too excited about situations like that i don't think it changes much but as it's become more real I realized that it, it, it makes the whole energy of the entire office space you know more exciting right. everybody wants to be there more and whether you re realize it or not, it subconsciously just feeds off you and it does create, you know, a lot more results in everything that you're doing. Totally. Which is interesting. But, yeah, and I definitely think atmosphere is incredibly important when it comes to, especially, um, effort. I think that your culture and your atmosphere can really affect effort and um, just mindset a lot. So what, what are some things that you do to kind of paint that culture and that mindset at your office? 
So just hitting on what you just said, I mean, that was my biggest thing about moving down here. I've had 100% turnover. And, and a lot of that was just people that had been hired by my father at a tough time wanting to re-engage in a different way of doing things. So now creating a team type atmosphere is having more brainstorming type things, more engagement with my, my staff. So whether it's through weekly like cookouts during the summer or happy hours together, just more true relationship stuff. So they know that I don't just care about my clients. I mean, I'm only as good as the people that work for me. And if they don't believe in my own vision and that I really mean what I tell everybody else, then it's not, you know, they're not going to do a very good job um, acting on my behalf or for the company. So doing small things or like having, we have two or three times a week, like little, like five to 10 minute, like huddles. So I think, you know, in humility, you learn as you go to the management role of, you know, you might go through all these processes to take that step, but you have to, you know, and you only see your side is be willing to listen to what your staff's saying and let them know their voice is being heard. So we have like what we call little huddles where multiple times a week, I just want to know what's going on with them, what I can do to help, you know, if something's bothering them. So it's open, transparent relationships, just, you know, and you start small. And as these things kind of progress and evolve, you get into doing bigger things and our company has been growing and stuff just to re as a result of very small things that only did them because they were important to me, which go back to energy and relationships. So in terms of number of employees now and where you guys are at in terms of revenue, do you have growth goals where you want to just jump exponentially or are you just okay with taking things where they go and seeing how it happens? No, I'm not okay with taking things just, uh, <laughs> as we go. to so all the employees out there that are, are part of Wolf Insurance. Right, right. I mean, there's um, big goals that I have in mind, obviously. Um, I've already hit a couple of them for this year, but I mean, it is to grow um, just like I said, to be able, not just for personal wealth, but to be able to have the resources to really leave an impact in things in the community and in the in my own industry. And I think by myself evolving and growing and constantly adapting, it is all, I mean, everything I do is goal related, written down. I mean, you know, subconsciously, verbally, I, and it's ingrained in my mind. And I think like we've both talked about being athletes as well. I mean, attitude, I believe, um, you know, whatever you believe you can achieve, you can. And for me, it's just telling myself I can do it repeatedly day in and day out and getting the people on my team to, to believe the same things and following the steps of the process and planning and doing it and getting it done. Are there any particular items that you do on a daily basis that are really dedicated towards your personal improvement or is it mainly your focus just professional and um, on the day-to-day -day operations? So, yeah, I mean, personally, um, probably like both of you guys, I mean, I try to work out three to four times a week. I meditate three to four times a week. Um, I have a personal coach that, you know, I spend time with weekly that helps me personally you know, professionally, just to kind of be, you know, because you all, I, that's the thing. I mean, you talk about fitness stuff or, you know, people get really not to switch gears, but caught up with, I'm going to be better because I'm going to look better, or eat healthier. And they're totally caught up in the physical aspects of it. Well, unless you're doing those same things to your mind and emotionally and the same type of things, you're not ever going to, you might look better, but you're still, you know, the same mm -hmm. unless you're really taking care of your mind and doing the things that are healthy for you. It's definitely an interesting concept. Like, you know, you can be completely healthy, at least body-wise and physically, but if you're not doing taking the right steps, you might still be unhealthy when it comes to your mental or emotional state. Totally. What um, funny about that, like, so to that point exactly, like in my late 20s, early 30s, I learned, you know, I was doing pretty well financially single so I had resources to do things I'm like oh I've got all this stuff I'm gonna travel I'm gonna and but I wasn't really emotionally 
balanced. Mm -hmm. And you learn just because you have stuff, whether it's worldly materialistic type stuff or the abilities to travel, wherever you go, there you are. And unless you're taking care of your personal emotional health, so in my mind, you're, you know, you're not healthy because there's things you've got to be for your quality of living, just, you know, for your own relationships, for yourself yeah, to be just, the best for whatever you're doing. And it's at the same like saying where they talk about like, don't care as much about what you say, but more about what your character is, you know, and what your intentions are. And it, I think and everything at life, there's always a, a core where it's like, is there purity there or not? And if I'm not totally in sync in that area then the rest of my life is going to be out of balance totally you know like going through a bad breakup and buying a dog and thinking that the dog is right. going to solve your problems right, right. you know right. but that's not the core issue guys right <laughs> it's right. not the dog i mean the dog might be cute but right yeah. <laughs> it seems like a good idea at the time trust me this park makes me want to get a dog josh and i were talking about uh you know how this park it kind of seems like you know it's, it's like the central like, park of columbus very you know? much smaller scale but like the central park of columbus totally you know, it's like right in the middle of everything. It's, it's pretty cool. So one of the things that I want to move into now is real quickly, you said you lived in Columbus your whole life. You know, you really, you can tell talking to you that uh, you really love Columbus. So what I wanted to get into was the, the pros and cons of living and doing business in Columbus. That's a good one. I mean, the pros, obviously, I would say is all of the opportunities with the growth in Columbus from startups, as I'm sure you guys are aware of. Um, where we're ranking now in national rankings. Um, so from an insurance standpoint, there's so many pros because there's so many businesses. It's, um, you know, I mean, one of the fastest growing cities in the country. So there's endless opportunities. I think it's affordable. Uh, it's easy to get from here to a lot of other places. Um, and growing up, having the ability to travel a lot, I always was, oh, I'd love to live here or there. And then, you know, you come to, as you get older, and I've kind of always had my base here, like, yes, I would have appreciated maybe opportunities to live in other places, but I also have had the ability to listen to all these people that have moved here from other, um, all over the country or world even. And there's one thing that's very consistent is that the people of Columbus are amazing, um, especially in this area, the, down, the short north. For me now, living here, moving my business down here, it's just the the atmosphere, the vi how vibrant it is. I mean, it's a culture where you just you want to be a part of it. I don't, you know, there's nowhere else I would want to be. Anyway, I mean, anywhere. I mean, I just I love to say I'm from Columbus. Being a Buckeye fan, I mean, I I went to Capitol, but I've been a Buckeye fan for life. And you know, being part of Columbus is. It's, I mean, how can you not love it? I can't think of any cons. I don't, I mean, for me, maybe just my industry, as you look out my window, there is a lot of competition um, in insurance here. I mean, there's so many companies based here. And what's funny is when I was just moved in here, the dispatch, I told you guys was doing the story. They came through here and I, my whole thing and everything in life is attitude. I mean, is the glass half empty or half full? I mean, you're, you know, is it opportunity or... You know how do you perceive it to be is what you can make it and I had eight or ten people here from the paper they're looking around and this guy's like oh gosh that must suck and he's like you look out your window every day and you see that nationwide building and I was like well I guess I mean you can look at it like that to me I, I like I thrive off competition so it's whatever you make it to be I was like I love like that makes me want to grind more to you know what I mean to I want to be in the bet where the, the best of the best are and I feel like I have that in Columbus. Yeah, I feel like there's a sense of... So when, when you meet other individuals or teams, like I guess we try not to take it back to wrestling too much, but that's where our experiences yeah. lie from being in college. And the best teams in the country carry this sense of... It's kind of a sense of arrogance, but it's really just a sense of extreme confidence from whether it's training preparation or culture from their part of a great program for a long time. And in Columbus, as you go to different cities, the people from Columbus as a whole, I notice, kind of carry that same sense of confidence. Like... We're a smaller city, but we got tons going on, and we believe in ourselves. We know the direction that we're going. And it's like a really um, contagious energy that feeds off you when you're around those individuals, especially in the startup community, Yeah, things like that. So it's exciting to be a part of. And then we just keep getting more dominoes that are knocked down in our direction, especially with like the Smart City Grant and things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's an exciting time to be here. Yeah, it's, it is very cool. I mean, it is. 
it's a happening place and it is exhilarating to be to have any tie to Columbus there's really not anything that you can't do almost in any industry here which is you know it's pretty cool because there's so many ties right. to Cleveland to Cincinnati I've been mean, then to all over the country so before we wrap it up to yeah. take it back to your personal business one time or one, one, one more question what kind of things do you do for your individual employees? Like, do you, do you let them run kind of on their own and pick their own hours and do their own thing? Or is it kind of more micromanaged? Like, how do you feed that culture personally and drive them to be motivated? So right now, I mean, it's like I was saying with the turnover and stuff. I mean, it's been maybe more micromanaged than I would like. Um, but but it's fl- I'm very flexible in like whether when they come in. And I mean, there's certain things with being in a service industry where we have to be present for certain times of the day when people, when our clients call in. So there's hours in regards to that and work schedules. But other than that, I mean, most of my staff have the ability to do as much as they want, or I mean, as little, but everybody seems to be, as the culture and atmosphere is getting better, to be around it more and, you know, to be a part of, you know, some of the things we're doing, whether it's with a local charity or organization, I don't even have to ask for volunteers anymore. That's, you know, what can I do to help? Because they see me doing it mm-hmm. and the way I'm trying to incorporate it with the people that work there, it's, it is a lifestyle and that's what we do is look for ways to give back to the community being, and you know, good things stem from that too. And you but, guys gotta be pretty close to the whole, I'm assuming. I mean, it's a, pretty small, are you guys as a team? Yeah, I mean, we have 10 people that work for us. So yeah, we're a small company growing but yeah it's a core group of mm-hmm. just like what we sell relationship based like you know right relationship based selling and yeah and teamwork um so one of the final questions we like to ask we always ask every guest we have on the show and uh fun fact i butchered this question in troy allen's episode oh. for anybody who listened to that this is going to be my redemption you're um, already not redeeming yourself this is <laughs> entirely, entirely, it's building up. entirely too long so the theme of our show is live uncomfortably, mm-hmm. and that's because we think that in order to be successful, you have to be constantly pushing yourself outside of your comfort zones, whether that's personally or professionally. Um, so what do you think of the phrase when you hear it, and how have you lived uncomfortably? That's a, that's a great phrase because I'm sure when you ask anybody that, they instantly, any entrepreneur gravitates to something. To me, it was going from when I was making the decision to buy my company to having literally no debt to having a lot of debt and with one goal in mind is that I believe in myself and at the end of the day I would bet on myself over almost anything else because I know the persistency and how resilient I am so living uncomfortably in that I always lived in what I thought was this safe environment because I felt financially secure. So it was, you know, a subtle change that became a big change. Um, but that change, that unbalance, you know, where you just start shifting. And for me, it was like I said earlier, facing my fear head on and realizing the things that I have to do, believing in myself and my company are to step outside of everything I know when everybody's saying, you can't do this. This won't work, but I, you know, I've, I've seen this for a long time. I know where I'm going. I know how to get there and I'm not, will, I'm not willing or unwilling to take that risk, which is what I've been doing the last year and a half. And it's already kind of like, Oh, how did he do that? What, what's he, I can't believe. So there, I've been getting that and it's facing that fear head on. Mm-hmm. And even in the moments where I didn't think I could ever get there, I would never go back to where I was, nor would I ever second guess the, the risk or where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome, Wes. Thanks for your time. Yeah. I appreciate it. I think that's a great place to wrap the episode. And yeah. I'm excited Thank to hear you. your story and have you share it with us. And we're yeah. all cheering for you. hope you, uh, you have great growth with your team and great. awesome things moving forward. Thanks thanks to both of you guys. So yeah, Thank right. you, Wes. And uh, thank you guys all for listening. That'll be the end of the episode. All right, Conquerors. That's episode 43 of Conquering Columbus. If you like that episode... Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social media. We're all over the place, guys. Share it with your friends. Also want to ask you if you could do us a big favor. Check out that podcast app you're listening to us on. 
and go ahead and click that subscribe button. Again, it really helps us out, and it makes sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. Last thing we want to do before we let you go here is give one last shout-out to all of our incredible sponsors. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. And if you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city, please reach out to me at mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. There will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode. And if you guys could fill that out for us, we'd really appreciate it. All right, folks, that's all we got. We'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.